Welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you ace your exams at school and university through the psychology of high performance and the science of studying smarter, not harder. It's my pleasure to introduce your host, the Cambridge-trained memory psychologist and exam success coach, William Wadsworth. Hello and welcome to the Exam Study Expert podcast. This time of year always feels like exam season to me, uh, but whether you've got exams on at the moment or they're still a little way off for you, I hope you'll enjoy and perhaps learn a few useful lessons from today's episode, which is going to be a little trip down my exam experience memory lane. I'm going to be running you through seven of my kind of make or break moments, actually, when I was there in the exam itself. In hindsight, these were really the kind of the pivotal moments in an exam that had a really major impact on my final grades at various points through school and university exams. Today, I want to help you avoid some of the mistakes I made uh, and also learn from some of the moments where I kept my cool and did the right thing. In the interest of making sure that you walk out of your exams with the biggest mark you possibly can. I've put the seven moments uh, in chronological order, spanning the seven years or so I was serious about taking exams through end of high school and into university. Across the seven moments, we will hit emotional low notes of regret, horror and having to improvise, as well as high notes of confidence, relief and that certainty of keeping your cool, sticking to a plan and also persevering. At each of the moments, I'll be drawing out lessons, that practical lessons that you can learn uh, to help you navigate similar sorts of challenges if and when they come up for you in your exams. If you enjoy today's theme of how to maximise your results when you're actually there in the exam itself, then you will love my book, Outsmart Your Exams. It's my top rated guide to getting the biggest score you possibly can after all your hard work once you actually get into the exam hall. You can grab your digital or paperback copy at examstudyexpert.com forward slash outsmart or one word outsmart. And with that, let's dive right into the first of my seven moments. Moment one, regret. My first major exam was GCSE Maths. Uh, This was a major public exam uh, in the UK that I was taking a year early at age 14. Um, I wasn't the only one in my school doing it. Most of the top set in maths uh, did it as well that year. The the regret uh, components actually came right after the paper, so just out of the just after the exam, uh, when I was on my way out of the exam hall, I started chatting with my friends and we were dissecting some of the questions. Uh, and one question in particular we were talking about in quite some detail, and I quickly realised I'd done something different to everyone else. Um, and I wasn't sure at that point whether I was in the wrong or they were in the wrong. So uh, we were kind of curious and we um, we all ended up in an empty classroom together. And we, I remember us thrashing out different solutions on a blackboard and with uh, a gradual sinking feeling that I uh, was actually the one in the wrong <laughs> and everyone else had got it right and I'd done something wrong. Ah, nuts. <laughs> and of course, what good did knowing that do me? Like, Absolutely none. I didn't have to take any more maths exams. Uh, I I couldn't go back and change my answer. It was totally useless knowledge to me. As it happened, I ended up getting the top grade for that paper anyway, (laughs) uh, despite that wrong answer. 
But I learned a really strong lesson that day, which was to be very, very careful about who I hung out with on the way into or out of an exam hall. I wanted no conversation afterwards about what we'd done, who'd put what. Like, there's literally no zero point. All the, the, the best all you can get from it is rumination and, you know, perhaps a dent to your self-confidence. It's not going to change your, it's not going to change anything at that point. And the same actually goes perhaps even more so for when you're on the way into an exam hall before it starts. Uh, if anything, I want even less of an analysis at that point of, you know, what we've each been doing in our studying, what we thought would come up in terms of different questions, what we each knew or didn't know. Uh, at that point, again, it's too late to change anything. The studying's been done, your exam's starting in 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and there's potential for a really major dent to your confidence if everyone's starting chatting confidently through content that you're feeling pretty wobbly on. In reality, of course, they probably know something you don't, and you probably know some things that they don't. But trust me, you don't even want to put yourself in that position. My recommendation would be to do as I did from that day onwards, and seek out the company of those uh, who you know will make reliably non-specific and perhaps reassuring small talk uh, before and after an exam. Uh, They may not necessarily be your closest friends from that class, but they're the sort of people uh, that you can rely on for for the right kind of atmosphere uh, going into or out of a paper. Or simply keep your own company outside the exam hall uh, and maybe listen to some music that puts you in a good state. Um, I remember watching uh, watching Wimbledon, uh, the, the famous tennis championship uh, last summer, and noting that a lot of the players, before they go on to play on the court, have earpods ir- in, uh, listening to some music before they go on. And I don't remember that from 10, 20 years ago when I was you know, growing up and, and watching Wimbledon as, as a younger child. Um, this seems to be a relatively new thing, but I can absolutely see why the athletes do it. You know, it puts them in a good state. It helps to get their mind in the right place to go out on court and give it their best game. Perhaps as exam takers, we can take a leaf out of their book. Moment two picks up on that theme of confidence. And in particular, the confidence in this case to stick with what you know. So, Fast forward a year, uh, and I'm taking the rest of my GCSE exams, having done maths, as I say, the year earlier. One moment in particular stayed with me uh, from the rest of my uh, GCSE exams, age sort of 15 or so. Uh, it was a Latin paper, and we had to do a translation from Latin to English. Now, the passage that we were translating from Latin to English was pretty fantastical. From memory, it was something about pillars of fire and like magical ponies on an island encircled by something. I I can't remember exactly. Um, But I learned much later that many of my classmates had basically bent the language to try and make it sound like vaguely sensible, uh, to try and tone down some of the fantasy and make a more realistic description that sounded like something vaguely related to the real world. And I took a different approach. I stuck with what I knew language-wise and just translated the passage as best I could based on what I understood of the language. And as a result, I had a translation that sounded pretty unbelievable. (laughs) You know, the stuff of myth and legend, like surreal, essentially. But it turned out that that was the correct interpretation of the language. The story was unrealistic. It was surreal. That was the story. Uh, And I scored well. So takeaway here, if in doubt, stick with what you know. I would say it's absolutely healthy to question your resulting answer if it looks odd or unusual. Definitely have that kind of critical voice in the back of your head. And when it 
triggers an alarm, go ahead and reassess your workings, be critical of your logic, have a second look at your methodology. Um, But having done all that, having reassessed carefully, if it still looks like the best answer you can produce based on what you know of the subject, then have the confidence to stick with it, even if it seems a little bit strange. Moment three is improvisation. So after your GCSE exams at most students take sort of 15 or 16 years old in in the UK. Uh, The second and other major set of exams that UK school students take are called A-levels. And we take those sort of age 17 or 18. When it came to my A-levels, one of my strongest memories was facing a question on a A A-level general studies exam uh, that asked about television soaps. It seemed to assume that I'd watched television soap dramas. I, I literally never had. <laughs> Maybe that was a uh, great omission in my upbringing and uh, I missed out on a whole world of, of interest and drama. I don't know. Point is, I'd never watched any uh, kind of television soap, soap dramas, you know, of, of that of that sort of genre. Um, like Maybe it was part of the course requirements that you watch that kind of stuff. I don't know. Anyway, I was sitting there in the exam facing a series of essay-style questions on source material that I had literally never seen. What could I do? I did the only thing I could do. I improvised. I remember making up characters. I remember writing down vaguely sensible sounding critiques and comments in the hope that I might pick up at least some points. It was not a proud moment, but I scratched together what I could. You never ever leave a paper blank. Never ever leave a question blank, no matter how bad things are. I ended up scoring a D grade on the overall paper, less than half marks, the score you give to someone who's written a pretty rubbish set of answers. But, and this is crucial, that D grade, that kind of less than half marks score, is still way more marks than the zero, the big fat zero, I would have scored if I'd left it all blank. And here's the kicker. As it happened, there were other parts to the uh, general studies paper that tested things I was pretty good at, so things like maths and sciences, and so I scored highly there, and my overall mark averaged out to an A, the top grade you could get. There is no way I'd have got that A overall if I just looked at the SOAPS questions and thought, I could tell know what to do here, left it all blank and scored a zero. When faced with what adversity, do your best with what you've got. There's a huge difference between a big fat zero and the low score you get for a rubbish answer. Far better to put a rubbish answer, if you can, uh, than leave a big fat zero. If it's what it takes, have a guess, make a sensible guess, but never, ever, ever leave a question blank. Moment four is relief. Um, Fortunately, most of my A-level exams didn't require too much more popular TV culture knowledge, uh, and my overall grades were good enough to get me into uh, the University of Cambridge to study natural sciences. I would ultimately specialise in psychology, a major in psychology if you like, uh, but in my first year I was taking a variety of other science, science subjects too. Uh, the toughest paper I had at the end of that year was my physics exam. Now, I've talked about my struggles with physics on the podcast before, uh, back in uh, episode 65 for example, it wasn't my greatest subject back then. Now, in the year-end exam, which was what your grade for the whole year was decided on, they gave you a choice of questions to tackle. And honestly, I consider it very lucky that I found at least one major question that I could solve pretty well all the way through. 
This was thanks to my friend George Wilde, uh, who I'd been studying alongside for a couple of weeks leading up to the exam. Uh, we went off to his room together in the evenings and worked through some problems together. Uh, he was a bit better at physics than me, and I think mainly thanks to him, we'd landed on a bit of a light bulb moment and spotted an insight which unlocked uh, our ability to solve a particular practice problem in the practice questions uh, we were working through. Now, as luck would have it, it was exactly that same light bulb insight that was required to unlock one of the major questions in the real exam. I didn't spot it at first, but I kept going, I kept searching, kept trying to figure something out, anything out, until eventually I spotted that familiar pattern and realised we could use that same problem-solving trick uh, from George Wilde's insights a few days ago. That then unlocked uh, a really major question, which was worth loads of marks, uh, and helped me to get together at least at some decent marks for the paper as a whole. Um, but the relief at that was amazing. Uh, I ended up scraping a two one, uh, sorry, a two two for the paper overall, which is a kind of okay, but not great grade uh, degree level. Uh, and there's no way I could have got even that grade without that insight that unlocked that that really big question on the physics paper. So takeaway here would be if you're struggling, keep going. Sometimes even just a single insight can be all you need to turn your fortunes on a paper round. And when you do, the relief can be like nothing else. Uh, moment five is horror. <laughs> so from relief to horror, uh, no relief in this little tale. Uh, though I should say from the outset, none of what you're about to hear was was my fault. Um, I was uh, I was I was I was I was wrongly done. <laughs> um, to set the scene, I was now a psychology specialist. A couple of years later on, and I was taking my psychology papers at the end of my third year in Cambridge. Now this year in particular, I'd been a really conscientious student. I'd taken my studies very seriously. Uh, and I was facing the major year-end exams, which determined uh, my overall degree grade. Um, the papers consisted of uh, three essays. They were three hours long, uh, and you had three sections, section A, section B, section C, with a fairly wide choice of questions, maybe 10 questions to choose from within each section. You wrote one, sec one question from each of the sections, one from A, one B, one C. Uh, you had three hours overall, three hours, three essays, one hour per essay, basically. Now, um, I'd actually studied more than the recommended number of modules that year, which in theory should have guaranteed me at least one question in the exam, probably a choice of questions in the exam, based on the material I'd studied. Part of the reason for giving such a large choice of questions was to cater for people that had taken different options through the year, and picked and chosen different modules to, to study. You weren't expected to have done everything, that would have been impossible. Uh, but they recommended you know, a certain number of lectures to, to go to, uh, to make sure you've got at least one question that you can answer in each section. Anyway, I opened the paper, browsed the questions. Section A, section C looked fine, good questions based on lectures I'd been to, material I'd been studied hard for, and I'd be able to write good essays for those for sure. But as I scanned down section B, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like there were, there were no questions at all based on the lectures I'd been to, the modules I'd chosen. And again, I'd, I'd overstudied. I'd done more than I should have done. So I should have been guaranteed at least one question, if not a choice of questions, based on the material I'd chosen. In disbelief, I remember reading it through like four, four five, six times, trying to find the question that was for me. And I, I, it wasn't there. There was no question on the lectures I'd been to or studied for, uh, for that middle essay, that section B essay. 
So here I was, I had to pick a question on a module I knew next to nothing about and write a whole one hour essay on it that would go a long way to determining the eventual degree grade I graduated with. Now, this wasn't blagging about TV soaps anymore. This was far more serious. So I, I, sh- I remember shutting the exam paper for a moment, taking a couple of deep breaths, uh, gathering my thoughts. I remember reasoning, like right there in the exam itself, that I had done everything that had been asked of me as a student. In fact, as I say, I'd studied more than the recommended number of modules after all. So the lack of choice must have been an administrative error. I could appeal the exam and maybe get my mark uh, improved. But regardless of whether my appeal was going to be successful or not, my job right there, right then in that moment in the exam, was to make sure I could accumulate the maximum marks possible because whether the appeal was successful or not, I needed to make sure I got as many marks as possible. I had three sections to write, one of which, section B, as I say, I knew painfully little about. So I decided to switch up my game plan a little bit. Uh, You can read more about having an exam game plan in Outsmart Your Exams. Uh, There's a little bit more to it than you might think, and building out uh, a really good exam game plan Uh, with sort of timings and orders of of attack with different sections, is one of my favourite advanced exam-taking strategies. It can make a surprisingly big difference uh, to your exam-taking experience. Anyhow, my my new plan was to start by pulling out uh, an old trick and improvising what I could to score at least some points on section B. As I mentioned before, you can very quickly jump from zero points to even like 30 or 40% on a question once you start to write something, even if that something is only tangentially and very loosely relevant. So I wrote what it could. So I wrote what I could. It was short. It was pretty rubbish. Um, It was based on the modules I had studied and trying to shoehorn it into the new question. Uh, But it was at least an essay and therefore worthy of, even if it was 30%, a lot more marks than if I'd left it blank. But I certainly didn't need a whole hour to do that uh, section B, a bit of rubbish. Um, I decided to reallocate quite a lot of the time that should have been allowed for my section B essay to sections A and C. Uh, The section A essay in particular, I remember I knew loads about. I'd studied that really well. I had masses of relevant detail to include. So I think rather than an hour, I probably ended up spending more like an hour and a half, an extra 50% of the time on the section A essay. And as a consequence, I think I wrote a really, a really knock it out of the park essay, which I think ended up getting me a a really high first class score. Really good. Uh, Anyway, after the, after the exam, I remember retreating to a little cafe at the back of my college uh, called Sticky Beaks uh, to lick my wounds with uh, two or three other course mates who'd been sort of chosen chosen similar modules to me and, and had hence been screwed over in exactly the same way. Um, after uh, after something akin to a, a much needed group therapy session over coffees and hot chocolates, uh, we uh, went back to uh, we went back to our colleges and, and refocused on the the remaining exam paper that we all had to sit uh, the following day. Um, But once that final exam was over, I did indeed appeal, uh, writing a thorough letter explaining my position. Uh, And in the end, that resulted in my section B essay being excluded from consideration uh, for that paper. So the grade for that paper, for me, would be determined only by the average of my sections A and C essays. B was out of the picture. For me, this was a fantastic outcome, not only because section B was obviously rubbish, but also because I'd had all that extra time to spend writing even better and more detailed essays for section A and C. And one of the things I've sort of pondered ever since was the fact that I wonder if I was almost at an unfair advantage uh, because I'd in effect had loads of extra time on those two essays, A and C, which 
were the only ones that counted towards my score. But I also believe it could just as other way, just as easily have been the other way around, could have been an unfair disadvantage. Um, if I hadn't kept my cool, if I hadn't recovered from that initial moment of horror, uh, I could have stayed a mess and not been any, in any fit state to write any good essays at all if I'd just sort of gone, gone to pieces and, and wobbled completely in the exam. So whatever happens, my advice would be, whatever adversity you're facing, take a couple of deep breaths, perhaps think through routes of appeal, etc. You might be open to you. They might be open to you if you've been disadvantaged. Acknowledging that th- comfort, acknowledge that comforting thought in the moment, uh, and then devote your energies to making the best of a bad situation on the paper. Uh, your job now is to pick up as many marks as you possibly can. It may not have been what you're expecting. It may not have been what you were prepared for. Uh, but whether that appeal is successful or not, the more marks you can score in that paper, the better you'll be. So keep it together and you will reap maximum rewards, even on a bad situation. And that brings us nicely on to moment six and seven. I've kind of lumped these in together uh, and they're both about perseverance. I've dedicated the final two moments to the theme of perseverance because it's so important and it was a theme that cut right throughout so much of my, my kind of exam taking experience. The kind of first angle I want to think about perseverance from is is persevering right to the very end of each exam. For me, this was a lesson I learned early and I never forgot it. The first remotely scary exam I ever remember taking was a music theory exam when I was maybe 12 or so years old. Now, the deal was something like you had a couple of hours for the paper, but you could leave the room really early, maybe like after an hour if you were done early. My teacher drummed the point home. You will probably, you probably will finish early, but you never ever leave the room early. Ever, <laughs> you stay there. You keep checking, rechecking, refining until the very last minute, because you never know if you're rechecking or refining or adding on will find that one elusive extra little mark that could push you over a grade boundary. Many exams don't even allow you to leave early, but. If you look around an exam hall in the last 10 to 15 minutes, for a lot of exams, you might see students finished early and mentally checked out. Some even close the paper, put their pen down, start to stare around the room, or simply put their head on the desk. But not you. You, my friend, are an exam study expert now. You keep going right to the end, right to the last second, hunting out any marks you may have missed. As I say, it could be that one or two extra little marks that you spot with three minutes to go uh, that makes all the difference between getting one grade and another, between a pass and a fail. And to finish with, and to to broaden out to a, a kind of second angle on perseverance, keep going right to the end of your whole exam season two. I know some of you are sort of just working towards a single exam, but if you're taking multiple major exams, perhaps over several weeks, you'll notice some people around you starting to check out when it gets near the end of exam season. Maybe your penultimate exam is on Friday and your final one isn't until Tuesday or Wednesday the following week. Uh, Many will start to take things easy over the weekend, you know, abandoning study schedules, getting out in the sunshine. You already have a balanced and sustainable study routine with a sensible quota of breaks built right in around your work, right? Uh, See episode 38 for more on a balanced study routine and having a sensible amounts of breaks. So all you need to do is keep on going with what you know works. Don't throw your study plan out of the window entirely. Keep going. De- definitely give yourself a break after each exam, particularly if you've now got a few days off. 
But once you've had your break, once you've had your time off, come back, refocus your, refocus your eyes on the next and final challenge that remains. You can almost relish the luxury of only having one exam left now. That topic is now the only thing you need to worry about. No more balancing your time across different subjects. This subject can enjoy your full and undivided attention. And with that, we face our final exam and the end of exam season, and indeed, the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this little trip down my exam experience memory lane. Uh, And remember, it's these little moments that can make or break your success. You've worked hard. Let's make sure you get every last mark you deserve on exam day. So be careful about the company you keep before and after an exam. Have the confidence to stick with what you know, even if it feels odd. Never, ever leave a question blank. Improvise if you have to, based on tangential knowledge or even sensible guesswork, but never leave a blank. Keep hunting for insights that might unlock a tricky question and relish that relief if you spot one of those insights. Breathe through moments of uh, horror, like discovering you don't have a question you can answer. Remember to keep your cool uh, and make it your job to pick up as many marks on the paper as a whole. And finally, persevere. Persevere right until the end of each exam. Persevere right until the end of exam season as a whole. And again, you may just find those extra marks you need to make all the difference. Because sometimes all it takes is one single mark to get you over that next all-important grade boundary or to transform a fail into that all-important pass. And if all that has whetted your appetite for the whole world of tricks and techniques you can use to maximise your exam score, do check out my book, Outsmart Your Exams. It's packed full of cunning strategies and magical mindset tricks you can use to maximise your score at the point when it matters most. You've done your studying. Let Outsmart Your Exams help you get all the marks you deserve. You can grab a copy via the link in the show notes or head to examstudyexpert.com forward slash outsmart, all one word, outsmart. I really love teaching exam strategy uh, via the book or via my one-on-one coaching um, because it can earn you more marks and could even bump you up a grade like without having to do any extra work. Sounds like a great dream, right? It's fun and it it really makes a difference. So allow me to let you in on the secrets at examstudyexpert.com forward slash outsmart. I hope you've enjoyed this little journey with me into the world of the exam hall and uh, maybe feeling just that bit better prepared to deal with some of the ups and downs that may come your way on exam day. I truly wish you every success in your exams. Good luck. You've got this and I'll be rooting for you. Thanks for listening. Just before you go, did you know you can hire William as your very own coach and mentor to show you the stress-free way to ace your exams by studying smarter, not harder? Find out how at examstudyexpert.com slash coaching. <laughs>